CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Right now on OA, is the glass half full or really half empty? The markets went with full for today, but other signs show more and more cracks in that glass. We are designing an options arc in case there's a small flood. Then one of those cracks is the still burdened consumer. With pivotal personal consumption data out next week, we will look at one grocery play that could help clean up on aisle four. And finally, swing and a miss. Lessons to be learned and maybe a comeback story from last week's Dick's Sporting Goods trade. I'm Tyler Matheson. Welcome everybody in for Melissa Lee tonight. This is Options Action live from the NASDAQ market site. And on the desk tonight, Mike Coe, Carter Worth and Brian Stutland. Welcome gentlemen. Good to be with you. If not with you, virtually. We're here together. Stocks reverse course today. They finish solidly higher. The Fed Chair Powell first cautioned that rates could still go higher to combat inflation, sending the markets lower. But then the frowns turned upside down when the chair later cited, quote, especially robust consumer spending and early signs of a recovery in the housing market. Okay, but where does that really leave us, Carter Worth? How do we make sense of it? Put it in. Put a trade in. Show us some charts. Sure, sure. So just as you say, the the, the the conclusion was that it was full today, but we know it was wild. We up almost 1% at one point, then almost down 1%. We closed well. But on the week, before we look at the charts, that's the thing. The Dow Jones Industrial Average was down on the week. The transportation average was down on the week. The Russell 2000 was down on the week. The S&P uh, up the mid-cap unch. Um, and so it's uh, something for both bulls and bears. But we have a well-developed sort of topping formation. And uh, let's look at that, not only in the S&P, but in several aggregates. So this first you see here is that well-defined uptrend line since March low. March to present to the high, the market's up 20%. But it has this minor reversal, otherwise known as a head and shoulders. Let's look at the next aggregate. And what we have is the exact same chart. This is the NASDAQ 100. You can't tell them apart. S&P, NASDAQ. Let's keep going. And you'll see uh, instance after instance, okay, this is the sector, right, that depicts all industrials, XLI. It's the same setup. Let's keep going. These are all the same time frame. And what you're going to see, it's the same. This is consumer discretion, XLY. It's got Amazon and Tesla in it. Um, we can keep going, meaning the point is, look at the next. And you'll see here, um, this is tech. Uh, look at the next. We've got housing up here coming up, uh, among others. This is the ITB. So that's Pulte and, and Toll and so forth. The issue is, are we basically, after such a big move from the March low, are we putting in a bit of a minor top? Or said differently, does the sell-off that began exactly a month ago, 27 July, here we are 27 August, essentially, is there more to go? That's my thinking. And your thinking is that there is more to go? Yes, all right. Very good. Mike, your thoughts on the markets? And you have, I'm told, a chart of your own. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, of course. So, you know, uh, we saw some early market weakness when we heard Jerome Powell's comments that, 
you know, the inflation fight isn't completely over. And then, of course, he had some relatively positive things to say about other economic indicators. Let's talk about the inflation issue first. I thought uh, Larry Summers had an interesting op-ed in the Washington Post where he was basically saying what he thought Jerome Powell should say before he said it. And what he was doing was comparing uh, basically the inflation that we've seen over recent years, which you can see here uh, depicted by the blue line, versus the period basically from the late 60s until the early 80s. And what you can see is that you know the pattern that we have seen for inflation recently has mimicked quite closely the one we saw during that early, early inflationary period. And the declines that we saw in inflation more recently, if we met, map that over what we saw that last time, didn't necessarily mean that the inflation fight was over. And there are some other reasons we might think that that's the case. For one thing, we're running very large fiscal deficits uh, right now, and those are predicted to be maintained for some period. That is inflationary. We are beginning to see some wage and labor pressure uh, to the upside. That is also inflationary. And with respect to sort of the positive economic comments, you know, looking at the housing market, we have a lot of people who are locked in their homes. So existing home sales have actually been declining. We can't really look at that part of the housing market, but we have underbuilt for a long time. We have a housing shortage. So, of course, people are still obligated, essentially, to pay up. And so I don't necessarily support Jerome Powell's view that that's necessarily a, a positive. So I think all of those things are, are reasons we might be a little bit concerned here. Are the, are the oil shocks of the 70s reflected in those charts that you just showed us that, that, that uh, Mr. Summers uh, was, was pointing to? Yeah, so what we were looking at right there was uh, basically CPI. So, uh, you know, a lot of people will look at inflation and they will, you know, they will pull energy out. They'll, in right. fact, it's very frequent that people will say, you know, X, X food and energy because those commodity prices tend to be a bit more volatile. The thing is, though, we need to bear in mind, and we are actually seeing, we saw some big increases due to a refinery outage in energy prices uh, today. So it, these things do impact the consumer. You know, we right. want to take out volatility, but we can't ignore entirely the fact that they affect consumer spending. Yeah. All right, Brian, uh, welcome. Good to see you. Uh, you're looking at rates. What are you seeing? Yeah, I mean, just to kind of tie this together is you do have to look at interest rates. You have to look at where the 10-year note was today, where it was back then, according to Mike's chart. And, and Mike's chart basically ends at what would be sort of this 1975 late half of the year, actually just after I was born, in fact. So uh, then we saw that inflation tick up again. But what did rates do? What did the market do? And let's just tie this back to what Carter was talking about, charts rolling over. In the late 1975, we had the stock market in the S&P look like it was going through this head and shoulders top formation and ticking to the downside. But what happened was 10-year interest rates sort of held steady, kind of freaked people out as they ticked up, just as we were seeing the 10-year get back up to four and a quarter percent. And it had people freaked out. We had this topping action. But what happened? The market reversed itself. The 10-year sort of hung in there and went sideways. And then we got this tremendous 20% rally in the stock market. So I think we're at a cusp here where, yes, could we get this breakdown below all these levels that Carter was talking about? I mean, the charts look not so great. Volatility is cheap. I'd be looking to add protection, add a hedge in at some point in here, because look at the VIX keeps heading lower. That means protection is relatively cheap. Buying a put is a lot cheaper than it was in October the last time we saw 4% in the 10-year. It seems like every time we go above 4%, we have this volatility damping effect. To me right now, the charts don't look good. Charter outlined that. 
Volatility is cheap. It's time to buy some put. It's time to buy some protection on a portfolio just because I don't want to step out of this market and see it run 20% to the upside, but I want to have some protection in case those charts get ugly. Brian, I don't know whether you knew you were setting up a perfect, a perfect transition to Mike's uh, options play here. <laughs> you are laying out a protection play, a put spread. Tell us about it, Mike. Yeah, uh, so I was looking at the cues. I mean, I think when we think about uh, those stocks that are most sensitive to sort of the rate picture and sort of the high beta area, I think the cues are probably a good way to take a look at that. And you want to buy insurance when you can, essentially, not when you have to, when prices have already declined very sharply. This seems like a good setup for that. I was looking out to October, the 360 330 put spread. That was going to cost about $7. Uh, so that gives some nice protection over the course of uh, the next couple of months in the event that we see a downdraft. And it helps you essentially maintain your equity positions. Uh, now, one interesting thing that we, we rarely talk about, which is the interplay between the value or the price of a put option and rates. And what is interesting is that when rates go higher, all else equal, call prices rise and put prices decline. Uh, if we had 1% rates on short-term money, uh, you know, the at-the-money puts would probably be about 25 basis points that expire in 60 days. It would be about 25 basis points more expensive. may not sound like much, but over the course of a year, that does mean that these higher rates have made puts all else equal a little bit less expensive as well. So low volatility, higher rates, a volatile market. You know, buying puts right near now for protection makes a lot of sense. Brian, your thoughts on that trade? Yeah, I mean, I think the put spread makes a lot of sense. It's, it's a cheap way sort of to own the downside protection. And actually, buying a put spread has really paid off the last couple of years. It's been where the market has sold off. It hasn't gone through that short put strike that Mike lays out. So he sells that further downside put, limits the outlay on the premium on it. And probably that 330 level in the queues is where we start to find some support. So I like how the trade structures out. It's a cheap play. It gets a hedge on to the rest of your equity position. Carter, final thoughts, button it up for us. Yeah, so the question is, one has to make a judgment. Is the sell-off that's now one month uh, in the making a dip to buy here, or is it a dip that's got further dipping to go? I'm in the latter camp, and uh, I would be careful. All right, Carter, thank you very much. For everything is Options Action, check out our website, newsletter. There is more Options Action right after this. Coming up... Two individual names caught in the turbulence of macro market crosswinds. How could it impact their upcoming quarterly results? We'll look at two ways to put on an options windbreaker. Plus, calling all options action fans. Reach into your pocket, grab your phone, and tweet us your question at options action. If it's nice, we'll answer it on air when options action returns. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Welcome back to Options Action, everybody. Continuing our critical look at overall market levels, while recent headwinds have pushed the NASDAQ back down to where it started a couple of months ago, Broadcom has managed to stay aloft. So can it continue on this flight path uh, with earnings on the horizon? Brian, lead us off here. What's your take? 
Yeah, well, Broadcom's really been a leader because it's starting to do more for more and more with artificial intelligence and its chips. 15% of its sales actually are AI chip related at this point. So certainly they've gotten a boom for that. Over a billion dollars in sales coming just from that aspect of the market. And they also have obviously their acquisition of VMware, which I think will add boost to their earnings picture. And look, the stock is pretty cheap on a valuation basis. This trades like a value stock, not a tech stock. And if you're sort of looking to lighten the load, if we're going to get this rollover in the market, people have kind of turned to Broadcom as sort of their tech play, but a value play. And so I think the stock has had a successful run. Having said that, we saw what happened with NVIDIA earnings. We saw the AI play where, the, where NVIDIA was up after hours. Everybody was all giddy about artificial intelligence. And then the market started to sell off. NVIDIA started selling off. And so we could be in store for the same sort of effect for Broadcom. I still want to own the stock. But I am looking to sort of add protection to it. And I might do the same thing. Basically, I'm looking at a put spread the same way I did it, that Mike sort of laid out with the cues, is I'd be looking to buy a put spread to sort of protect against the earnings play coming up here. And I go out to the end of September here. I can buy the 820 put, while at the same time financing that by selling the 740 put. Now, the cost here, 2150 that seems like a lot. But when you look at an $840 stock and whatnot, it's not that all expensive. I get about a 10% protection, you know, between the range of those strikes to the downside. If we break below 820, there might be further selling to go here. So I want to stay protected into this earnings event. Very interesting. Mike, your take on this move. Uh, so first of all, we, we own Broadcom. So, uh, you know, like Brian owns, I know for his clients, uh, I definitely think it's cheap. I mean, 20 times earnings when the Qs, uh, you know, the Nasdaq's probably trading closer to 30. Obviously, well under the valuations of names like NVIDIA, which I should say we also uh, also own. You know, what's interesting, this put spread is going to cost about 2.5% of the current stock price. And this is a stock that moves on average closer to 4 4.5% after earnings. And this name is also on a heck of a hot streak coming out of earnings. If you take a look at how Broadcom has performed a week after it's reported, it has actually been up every one of the last 12 reported quarters. Now, I don't know if it's going to break... This time, I'm hoping it doesn't because we own it. If you also own it, I think this put spread uh, might be a good way to uh, to protect it. You know, actually, if you don't own it, buying the stock, which we already own, and buying this put spread as a way to play earnings isn't a bad a way to go either, I think. Carter, your reaction? Right. So we know that on the day of NVIDIA's great news back uh, three months ago, of course, this stock popped as well. And my hunch is that it's full. But uh, let's look at a chart of semis overall first, just to put this in context, and how symmetrical it all is. Semis peak when the market peaks, uh, basically in the first days of 2022. Semis bottom in October, and semis have recovered right to their former high. But I think ultimately we'll work to the bottom of that well-defined channel. Now, here's the big move in, in Avago. You see the breakout that's NVIDIA-related, but it's stalled ever since. And of course, ultimately, I think that that stall uh, foreshadows a give back to the uptrend line in effect since um, September a year ago. So I would be a seller here. Very interesting. Very interesting how you draw that out there. It's very interesting. All righty, from semis, let's move on to supermarkets. When Walmart reported earnings last week, it attributed a beat in part to strong grocery sales. So could that carry over as continually, continually stretched consumers Concentrate on spending on staples. Grocery stores chain Kroger gearing up to report results in about two weeks. And if you're looking to throw this name into your cart, Mike has got a way to play it. Hi, Mike. What do you got? Yeah, so, you know, this is uh, this is an interesting case, right? 
So, uh, you know, it's very frequent lately on Walmart's calls that we, we hear about what they're doing with groceries. And Walmart trades about 30 times earnings. Kroger trades about 10. Uh, so if, if grocery is the place to be, I wouldn't mind owning it at 10 times earnings. And in fact, we do own it. We do own uh, Kroger here. That said, this isn't really a growth stock. So, you know, the one thing that Walmart, of course, could say for itself, which Kroger can't really is that they're trying to really expand into digital, direct-to-consumer types of sales, as well as expand their grocery presence on their physical stores. And that's not really the case for Kroger. Uh, but this is a company that you know holds in there. It's trading at a cheap multiple, as I said, about 10 times earnings, seven times EV EBITDA. Uh, and it pays a dividend, about 2.5%, so roughly double what the S&P does. So this is a stock I think is reasonably valued here. I don't expect huge things. It doesn't typically move a whole lot on earnings. And as you point out, they're going to be reporting in a couple of weeks. So this is a stock that I think sets up uh, well for a covered call if you own it or for a buy right if you don't. In a buy right, you'd, you'd buy the stock. It was around 45, 70 or so when I was looking at this earlier today. And then you could look to sell an upside call. Important thing here when selling upside calls, I typically don't like to sell upside calls for less than approximately 1% of the current stock price. Um, and I also like to keep them relatively short dated. So I was looking at the October 6th weekly 49 strike call. Uh, that was about 69 cents. So if you bought the stock at that 45.70 level and sold that call, you still have about 7% worth of upside between now and expiration, which is about six weeks away. Um, and it does, you know, I wouldn't really refer to this as a hedge. Some people say that selling covered calls, collecting that premium is a way to protect your downside. I don't think of them like that. I just think of it as a yield play, a way to enhance the 2.5% you're getting from the dividend already. All right. Let's get Brian's reaction to that trade. Brian? Well, I, I like this because, we, you know, when we invest here, I love tech. So Broadcom is one of those. And then on the other barbell, I like consumer staples. Kroger, valuations, Mike mentioned, very cheap selling a call. If you look at earnings, there's been a couple times where the stock has popped significantly after earnings above 10%, but that still puts you up around the $50 mark. It's not like you're going to get called away and then all feel bad about yourself that you got called away from the stock because it'll probably won't trade much higher than that $50 level after earnings. So I'm okay selling that call and just getting called away, maybe taking some premium here. It seems like an ideal trade. Carter, any reaction there? Sure. Uh, Kroger's has lagged Costco. It's lagged Walmart. Um, and if you look at the chart, what we have is a perfect instance of converging trend lines. So uh, we're at the end of the runway, so to speak, the apex of the formation. You have to make your bet. I think it gets resolved up, not down. All right. Up next, one of last week's trades going way out of bounds. So how should you change the strategy at halftime? A Dick's Sporting Goods look back is next. And don't miss a CNBC special taking stock that is tonight at 6 p.m. right after options action. We'll be back in two minutes. Welcome back to options action. Last week, Brian laid out a way to play Dick's sporting goods ahead of the results. And we all know how that one played out. Dick's down more than 20 percent since then. So, Brian, how are you managing it now? Yeah, it wasn't a good one at all. And, you know, when you look at earnings, some of these consumer discretionaries over the last couple of weeks, all these stocks have just gotten hit. The earnings picture hasn't been that great. I mean, the one thing as you look at this trade is by selling the 135 put, the trade doesn't get put to the stock until 135. So it did mitigate some of the risk to the downside, 10 bucks out of, let's say, the $35 that the stock did move down. Now, when I look to put trades on, I like to mitigate risk and basically cut risk in half. This cut only about a third, so that's a little disappointing. But here's the point. The stock was down. It got down to the 108 level. I usually like to see it bounce off of something like that. So when we saw a trade up 
to 111 or so here. This would probably be an area where I just close the trade and move on and just you know take the lumps on this one loser here. I think when it broke 120, technically a lot of traders got in there and just kept selling because that was a key support area that I thought it would hold. And because it didn't, I'd probably want to just be out of this trade. Carter, quick thought here. I concur. First loss, best loss in this case. No good. Walk away. All right. Walk away, says Carter. All right. Up next, answers to your questions and the final call options action will be back in two minutes. All right. Welcome back to options action, everybody. Time to take some questions. Our first fan asks, with the surge in insurance rates, what are your thoughts on AON, October 20th, 310 put, 330 call, 350 call risk reversal? Whatever that means, Brian, explain it. It's a lot of words for sure. It's buying a call spread and then financing that by selling a put. The chart looks a lot similar to a lot of the charts we talked about at the top of the hour, which is a little shaky. I would lower the strike at that 310 put to sell. I would lower that below 300 because it could get dicey if the market rolls over to the downside. All right. Our next fan holding October 75 puts on XHB. What level should I take them out? I'm not sure who that is a question for. Carter, it's for you. Sure, sure. So uh, home builders are in the crosshairs here. I think you've got a great level. That's where the 150-day moving average comes into play. Those close at one spot, 2.7. I think you'll be able to trade them at two. All right. Uh, Next one asks for a zero DTE option like the QQQs. How do you calculate the time decay during the day? Mike, I feel like my time during the day decays all the time. What do you think here? (laughs) Yeah, but it decays much faster towards the end. And that's actually true true for options as well. So whatever your price of an option is, it's going to lose all of the extrinsic premium by the end of the day. But just understand that that value decays most rapidly towards the end of the day. So instantaneously, if you're using it as a trading vehicle, you know, it's not that much, but it's going to go fast towards the end. Let's do a quick final call. Carter, you get to go first. Markets in a proper correction that I don't think is over. Keep selling. All right, Brian, you're next. Yeah, and to that, I like Broadcom, but I'm going to stay protected with buying a put spread against long the stock. All right, and Mike, you get to wrap it up. The Anchorman. Yeah, broad market portfolio protection. I like QQQ put spreads in October. All right, very interesting half hour. Gentlemen, thank you all so much for being with us. That does it for Options Action. Taking Stock, a CNBC special, starts right now. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. All opinions expressed by the Options Action participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Options Action participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full options action disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash options action disclaimer. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.